All opinions expressed by Davidson Capital Management on MoneyWise are solely theirs and are based upon information they consider reliable and is subject to change without notice. You should be aware of the risk in investing in any security or investment strategy discussed on the show. Before acting, you should consider whether it is suitable for your particular circumstances and should seek advice from your own financial or investment advisor. Past performance is not indicative of future results. You're listening to MoneyWise with Davidson Capital Management. Got your MoneyWise guys back inside the MoneyWise studio with me for this weekend show. I have my brother Jeff, Joe Rust, and I am your host, Kyle Davidson. For any new listeners to the MoneyWise program, Davidson Capital Management is a fee-only registered investment advisor. We're in our 34th year of business, and with offices in San Antonio and Corpus Christi, we have your investment management needs covered throughout Central and South Texas. And if you'd like to learn more about us, you can go to our website at davidsoncap.com. Or if you'd like to give us a call in our office on Monday to discuss your personal financial situation or take advantage of a portfolio review and analysis from your MoneyWise guys, you can reach us in our San Antonio or Corpus Christi office toll-free at 1-800-275-2162. If you'd like to send us an email, you can send all emails to moneywise at davidsoncap.com. And don't forget, you can subscribe to the MoneyWise podcast through Apple Podcasts or any of your favorite streaming podcast apps where you can leave your comments. And don't forget to like the show. As we kick off every weekend's Money Wise program, I turn it over to my brother Jeff to go into the numbers from Wall Street from last week. So, Jeff, take it away. Okay, in the week just passed, the Dow Jones Industrial Average was up about 222 points, or seven-tenths of 1%. The S&P 500 last week was up about 57 points, or 1.3%. And the NASDAQ last week was up about 320 points, or 2.4%. Now, for the year-to-date, the Dow Jones Industrial Average is up 3.4%. The S&P 500 year-to-date is up 15%. And the NASDAQ year-to-date is up 31.8%. Thank you, Jeff. You're welcome. So it's been a few weeks since we've had a MoneyWise program. Joe, I, I know you wanted to make up just a brief comment as to why. We have been off the air the last couple of weeks. Sure. I'd love to chime in as the token Aggie on the program. (laughs) For those listeners that don't know, the worse the Aggies play, there's a direct correlation to us not having shows. So if they play at 11 o'clock, meaning they're not doing really well and they're not on prime time, that means they preempt our show. So if we're doing better, we play later. Therefore, you get to hear our lovely voices more often. So... So, in other words, you're saying, so so you're saying that we've gotten a couple of weeks vacation from doing the Money Wise program due to the fighting Texas Aggies lack of fight. That's exactly right. Maybe not lack of fight, maybe lack of winning. And execution. The the three weeks that it's been since we were last on, the last show we did was for the week ending October the 20th. The markets really haven't done much of anything, have they? (laughs) No, not at all. let 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 me tell you. What has happened in the in the three weeks since we were last on the show? I mean, the the Nasdaq's up oh just the, the measly six percent, and the and the S and P's up four and a half percent in the last three weeks. And that doesn't even take into account because I know that we the markets went lower and then went higher. It's like we got to the end of September, pardon me, October, and all of a sudden things just got bright and shiny again. Now. And we'll take it. <laughs> so the, the the question is, things got bright and shiny, 
we had one of the longest back-to-back strings of up days that we've had in several years. And if we had, if we had had an up day on Thursday, I think you had to go back a, a, a extended like more than ten years ago to have that many days up in a row for the S and P. But the thing that's interesting about just the last two trading days, which I think is kind of a microcosm for about for the for the last few weeks, is there was there was such concern, and uh, I, I hate I, I don't think I used the word despair to de- describe Thursday, but the sentiment and how it keeps changing on a daily basis when it comes to the markets, really on nothing more than what a what a particular Fed person whether it's a governor or, in this case, on Thursday, what Jerome Powell had to say about his, I guess, his opinion, because it doesn't seem to be shared by all the members of the Federal Open Market Committee. But at least on Thursday, Jerome Powell's comments were, uh, I'm not sure that we've raised interest rates enough yet. I'm not sure that we've done enough to defeat inflation. Yes, it was coupled with a poor government bond auction, something that we haven't been following for a number of years, but we seem to be following every bond auction now as an indication of the health of the bond market. And the the bond market seems to be uh, the tail wagging the dog here of late. Whatever the 10-year Treasury does seems to be exactly correlated with whatever the market does on a given day. And then we get to Friday, and the the concern about, well, maybe we haven't raised interest rates enough and we need to just sell sell stocks. I forget how much the Dow was down on, on Thursday. And then as Dad would say, Shazam, Friday comes along. And I think we had some, I guess we had a Fed governor say something nice, like they believe, and I, I think Kyle, we're not exactly sure. Which I think governor it was Daly. I think it was, it was Fed Daly? Governor Daly that I, said that they feel or she felt that the interest rate increases that the Federal Reserve has done is at a sufficient level. And that was and good enough for almost 400 points up on the Dow. For a rip-your-face-off rally, yes. Yeah. It was. And, 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 Jeff, to your point about the weak 30-year Treasury bond auction on Thursday – you're right. It seems like the last four to six weeks, all of a sudden, we have to know every month how much refunding the government needs as far as how much uh, treasuries they need to be auctioning on a month-to-month or quarterly basis. And if they need to, to, to receive less funding, don't have to sell as many bonds, that's a good thing. If they have to sell more bonds, that's not necessarily a good thing. And then how are these bond auctions received by the market? That's that's, the, that's what that's what's happening now. All of a sudden, now, we're focused on this. Now there's there seems to be, uh, and there's a particular individual on CNBC that 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 reports on this. His name's Rick Santelli, if my Kelly. memory is correct. And he yes. gives grades between A to F on the, how good a particular bond auction was. And so what's happening is is there's not enough buyers other than the, the primary dealers, meaning the brokers. If, if the primary dealers end up taking a large portion in, in-house on their books in terms of buying these bonds from the government and not out, not non-primary dealers, that, that, that's great. That's not a good, in, that's not a good thing. Because what's happening is that means these primary dealers are having to take these bonds in on their books and take the risk of holding the bonds rather than 
just folks like us, other advisors, insurance companies, pension plans, uh, mutual funds, exchange-traded funds buying these bonds at the auction. So that's why the that's why that particular you know bond auction and some others here recently have been giving been getting C or less grade or less grades, and the market is extrapolating that into well we got to have higher interest rates to get more interest to move these bonds. And when we come back from the break, I'll expand on this a little bit further. Okay, we'll do that after this. You're listening to Money Wise with Davidson Capital Management. You Money Wise guys, be back after this. Welcome back. You're listening to Money Wise with Davidson Capital Management. If you'd like to learn more about the Money Wise guys, you can go to our website at davidsoncap.com. Or if you'd like to give us a call in our office on Monday to discuss your personal financial situation or take advantage of a portfolio review and analysis from your Money Wise guys, you can reach us in our San Antonio or Corpus Christi office toll-free at 1-800-275-2162. If you'd like to send us an email, you can send all emails to moneywise at davidsoncap.com. Don't forget you can subscribe to the Money Wise podcast through Apple Podcasts or any of your favorite streaming podcast apps where you can leave your comments, and don't forget to like the show. So if you're just tuning into this weekend's Money Wise program, recapping the happenings of Wall Street from this past week, but Jeff, you were going and kind of providing our listeners with a little bit of an education, because as we made the comment in the last segment, it seems like the last four to six weeks, the equity markets are so tied into what is happening and the fixed income side of the market, particularly when it comes to bond auctions, and what kind of grade that Rick Santelli from CNBC, who's a former bond trader himself. I mean, he has industry experience, and I would say of all of, of some of the broadcasters in the financial entertainment press, he's one person that I do listen to with his level of expertise and experience in, as a bond trader uh, back in his career. But it, it seems that these the market on the stock side is being pushed and pulled here just recently of – these bond auctions. And on Thursday, we had a combination of Jerome Powell, chairman of the Federal Reserve, coming out. And honestly, Jeff, Joe, do you really think he said anything different than his meeting back on November the 1st? I mean, it, he didn't really sound or say anything different. It just seems like you what he said was a repeat from the prior week, but then you compound it with the weak 30-year Treasury auction kind of was a perfect little storm for a sell-off on Thursday. Yeah, it, the, the words that he said, I think one of the analysts just kind of looked at it word for word for word versus what he'd said at the Federal Reserve press conference. It's like, well, this is almost verbatim, but the market exactly. on that day, the market on that day interpreted dovishly. Mm-hmm. But the market on Thursday didn't interpret it that way, and I think it was coupled with that with that less than well received thirty year bond auction. You know, the the bottom line is is that this huge deficit that is that the government has accumulated has to be financed, and all these bonds that were sold in years past it, during our near zero interest rate environment, all those bonds are maturing. And the government can't pay them off, you know, in all of them. They have to refinance them, in essence. And they, re, well, in order to refinance them, they have to refinance them at the current rate. So if you're retiring a bond that was paying a 1% coupon or a 2% coupon, now you've got to refinance it at a 4% coupon 
Well, or that higher. That de- or higher, that definitely raises your interest cost, which is a concern going forward, given the level of the deficits we have. But it seems that here of late, in order to, to move these bonds, the government's having to, you know, inch up those yields a little bit more in order to get people to buy them. Much like a car dealer in order to move move a, a lot inventory too many cars on there. Yeah, inventory, exactly. They gotta, gotta cut, cut prices. prices in order to move move the metal. And yeah, when you cut the price of a bond, it increases its coupon. It increases its yield but to maturity. The, it makes it has to pay higher interest. Right. The government's not cutting prices. They're just yeah, they're having they're having to you know inch up the yields in order to entice the buyers to accept. Okay, if I'm going to loan you money for thirty years, yeah, I want a, basically what they're saying with that with that. Uh, auction we had on Thursday is that there were some buyers that said, you know what? That's not enough yield at 30 for, for 30 yields. We're not going to buy any. And we're just going to sit on our hands and wait for higher yields. So if we got these buyers waiting for higher yields, does that mean there are higher yields coming and that spooked the market? But then on Friday, you get a different <laughs> story from a different Fed governor and as that says, Shazam, you know, you got a 400 point gain. So how do you – yeah, here, here's here's a great question. How do you invest in this environment is what Thank our you. listeners are probably asking Thank themselves. You. That's what you're – Kyle's reading my mind. That's what he does. That's what we both do. Yeah. I mean, it's a, it's a difficult environment to invest in because we have this near daily push and pull about what's happening with the interest rates. Have you heard anybody talk about recession this week? I don't even know the word recession. No, I have not really. I, I mean, there, there's obviously there's always two sides of every coin, and mm-hmm. so you have the one camp that we're going to have a softer no landing, or we're going to have a harder landing. If you listen to someone like a Mike Wilson, who's one of the head strategists of Morgan Stanley, you would think that we're going to hell in a handbasket. You know, yeah. in, in in the in the shorter term, when it comes to the economy, and or obviously, Gerlock. or Gerlock, yes, yeah, yes, buddy. Of, of double line capital, who, who's you interesting we, because he's a bond guy, but he talks about stocks. It's kind of like you know Bill, like Gross. Bill Gross. Yeah, yeah, it's just like Bill Gross, who is the head of Pimco who now had, retired. Had, but even even Ger, Gerlock capitulated and said there's some room to buy stocks here. Right. So but, and and Bill Gross, for all of his greatness with bond management, was was terrible when it came to stocks. Oh, yeah. That's right. <laughs> Yeah, so don't follow his advice. I don't know if I'm ready to put gun locket necessarily in that category or not. But if we did have had a show the week before, I'd have been saying, you know, I don't expect a lot from the market in the week the week we just had because we didn't have any economic news. We didn't have any earnings news of any great extent. I know we had Disney, but no one really was paying attention much to Disney. But, I did, but we did have a lot of Fed speakers. That's all we had this week is Fed speaker after Fed speaker after Fed speaker. But I thought it would be a pretty quiet week, which which was exactly what happened on Monday, Tuesday, and Wednesday. You, yeah, also, it was yeah, super yeah. quiet. Go ahead. The 10-year Treasury also, obviously, yeah. the, the yield's lower than five, and it, right. it normalized a little bit and stabilized, which gave well, probably some people's excuses to buy. So Since we know. didn't have a show these last three weeks, we didn't have a chance to talk about everything that had happened in the ten year treasury. Uh you know, I on the last the, the last time we the last show we had, I'm I'm sure we had talked about how much yields had come up. They 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 didn't peak, I think, and at least for now they hadn't 
didn't peak on the 10-year treasury and think until like a week later or so, where at, on an intraday basis, we we got to a 5% yield on the 10-year treasury. We did not close <clears throat> at a 5%. We, always, we closed slightly below it. That was definitely getting the market's attention. And then it all seemed to change in no, once we got to November. And I, at one time, I think we we shaved off a whole 50 basis points um, mm-hmm. of the of the 10-year yield. So we, we, we go up 100 basis points in about six weeks, and then we shave off half, half of, of that, that in, in, in a, less than in a couple of weeks or less. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, you talk about volatility, and that's been driving what's been happening in stocks here of late. And what have we been saying this entire year, guys? We've been telling investors, don't get too far out over your skis. Because, for one, the stock market is not as strong as being reported in the market cap-weighted S&P 500 index because a good majority of that 15% gain, Jeff, that you reported at the beginning of the show, is being driven by just a handful of stocks where the rest of the index, which is you know another 495-plus stocks, a lot of them haven't been participating because you can go and look at the equally weighted S&P 500, which equally weights every single stock in that index, and through Thursday, it was flat for the year. Now, obviously, it's going to have a little bit of positive growth from Friday, but for all intents and purposes, it's flat for the year, and we're sitting on, you know, this show's being broadcast on November the 11th. The S&P 500 equally weighted index is pretty much flat for the year. Right. Well, you'd have to go back <clears throat> almost 30 years the last time there was this wide a disparity between the market cap and equally uh, equal weighted S&P 500. So extremely unusual. Uh, bonds, you know, the aggregate, even with the 50 basis point decline in the 10-year treasury here in the last couple of weeks, uh, the Bloomberg U.S. aggregate, which is an aggregate of all investment-grade corporate and government bonds of all maturities, whether it's one month to 100 years, all of them, is, was still negative uh, through Thursday, uh, almost down 1%. If we had closed the year, if the year had closed on Thursday, that would, you'd have two back to back negative years on an aggregate basis for fixed income, which has never happened. I was going to say, I don't think that's ever happened. So it's never historic. It'd be history. Now, obviously we're still not done with the year and the market, since it's been three weeks since we've had a show, the S and P 500 on October the 27th, you know, hit that low peak, you know, hit that, hit that low in this cycle. And then we've been on a run up ever since. And like you said, Jeff, this past week, we've been pretty much in a very tight consolidated pattern with a slight upward bias from a technical chart standpoint. Obviously, Thursday we had that sell-off, and then we had this rip-your-face-off rally on Friday. But it all comes back to what we've been saying all year to all of our listeners. Don't get too far out over your skis. Don't feel, don't, don't feel that the market is stronger than it actually is because we're dealing with this whip song of push-pulling of the stock market based on what's happening in the fixed income market, particularly in the government bond space. So let's take another pause, take another commercial break. You're listening to Money Wise with Davidson Capital Management. You Money Wise guys will be back after this. 
Welcome back. You're listening to Money Wise with Davidson Capital Management. If you'd like to learn more about the Money Wise guys, you can go to our website at davidsoncap.com. Or if you'd like to give us a call in our office on Monday to discuss your personal financial situation or take advantage of a portfolio review and analysis from your Money Wise guys, you can reach us in our San Antonio or Corpus Christi office toll-free at one 800 275 2162. If you'd like to send us an email, you can send all emails to moneywise at davidsoncap.com. And don't forget, you can subscribe to the MoneyWise podcast through Apple Podcasts or any of your favorite streaming podcast apps where you can leave your comments. And don't forget to like the show. So if you're just tuning in, recapping Wall Street as we always do here on the MoneyWise program, again, really going more in depth of the pushing and pulling of the stock market based pretty much what's going on in the government bond market. You know, as we were talking about Thursday, had a big sell down due to a weak 30-year bond treasury auction on top of Jerome Powell, really not chairman of the Federal Reserve, really not saying anything different than he did the prior week uh, during the FOMC meeting and press conference and decision, which was to keep rates the same, keep them on pause. You know, I know the percentage as far as the Fed possibly raising rates in December is less than 25% at this point in time that they're going to raise rates again in December. But on Friday, we had, I don't want to say it, we had another attack of the Fridays, but we had another attack of the Fridays of a rip-your-face-off rally because a couple of Fed governors came out and said, you know what, I think we're sufficiently tight enough, which sends out the signal we're not raising rates anymore. And if you're going to be wanting to stock up on some higher-yielding treasuries, yields we haven't had access to in 15 years, you better get while the getting is good. Well, to some to some extent, I would agree to you agree with you, Kyle. But this the move we had on the ten year Treasury here in the last six weeks or so, uh, last couple of months has been about has really been about market forces, not not so much the Fed. Sure. Uh, what, what's happening now is the the yield curve is normalizing, meaning. A normal yield curve, you you should get more interest, more return for purchasing a, secu- a bond security that matures further and further out into the future. That's a normal, and get less for a shorter maturity bond security. Um, that hasn't been the case for, what, a year and a half thereabouts? We've had this in your inverted yield curve, which was quite inverted a couple of months ago. That inversion has shifted. It's more of a flat yield curve now, but it's still slightly inverted, but not as inverted as it was before. And the question is, are how much do do we have to have long rates go up even higher, or, do, or is the short end going to come down? Well, the short end is more controlled by forces related to the Federal Reserve, yeah. and the longer end of the curve is more controlled by forces related to the marketplace itself. And who's one of the biggest bond sellers out there? The government. Mm-hmm. And so the government's got to move all you – know, it's going to have these funding needs. They've got to move that paper. They need They've to move that move paper. paper. And, and in order to move that paper, they're going to have to entice – uh, the buyers with higher yields. Now, how much higher yields is the question. There are a lot of folks who are saying, you know, the, the 
what this run-up in the 10-year Treasury yield that occurred here in the last few months has really helped the Federal Reserve, done a lot of work for them that they would have not otherwise had to do by raising the federal funds rate. And I, yeah, I would tend to agree. I mean, that tightens financial, you know, tightens the you know, financial Monetary credit conditions. Yeah. And time to, it, it, it in, so by tightening financial conditions, that should tend to have a slowing effect on the economy. And in turn slows which, monetary and inflation. That should, and that should also have a slowing of inflation. Now, we're going to get another inflation measure next week, which I'm sure the markets and the Federal Reserve will be waiting for uh, with bated breath. You know, if it's cooler than expected, then we're going to get, as Kyle has so eloquently said many times this weekend, another rip-your-face-off rally. (laughs) If we don't, it's going to be a different rip. Uh, I wouldn't necessarily the, say the, that if it comes in, well, if wait, it comes in within, within six, expectations. No, I'm, no, I'm saying if it comes in harder than expected, it's going to be a different kind of rip. <clears throat> Might be a, a negative four or 500 rip if it comes in much harder than expected. We don't have any indications of that at this time. The data is indicating that, it might be a little bit cooler, but yeah. And if well, that's because, the case, because, because that's going to that's going to contribute to uh, continuation of this rally, and uh, maybe we'll have have a few more Fed governors say kind things, and the markets will respond to that in a favorable way. Uh, and you know, let's let's also not forget the time of year that we're in from a yes. seasonality effect. You know, typically November, December historically are some better months for the stock market. Uh, particularly for managers who've been severely underweighted equities. You know, they typically don't want to show a report to their clients where, oh, I've been sitting in 25% equities all year, you know, or 30% equities all year, depending upon your allocation model. So then they also have a little pressure on the buy side as well. So you have those seasonality effects, you know. And for us, you know, what we have done since we've had a show, I mean, we've done quite a few things. Obviously, we bought another treasury because we're taking advantage of these higher rates for all of our clients across all of our portfolios. So we're still in the market buying treasuries. We still have more treasuries to buy. We're also in deep contemplation of some other aspects to possibly bring into our fixed income portfolio. Not going to, not going to let the cat out of the bag yet because we're still in group contemplation. as Research, we do, baby. As Deep contemplation, okay. Deep contemplation as as portfolio managers. But what we've also done, you know, since we've had since we've had our last show, is we have slightly increased our equity allocation exposure across all asset classes. So if you look at our moderate allocation for all intents and purposes, we're a fifty five percent allocation to stock, forty five percent fixed income and cash. So we have increased our allocations uh, by close to five percent in our moderate allocations, whether it's an individual stock and bond portfolio or our asset builder program, which owns exchange-traded funds. So we also did some tax loss harvesting. We did. That's where some of this money was raised. Good idea as as an investor, if you have some investments that didn't work out and you need to offset some gains, and we have many gains to offset this year, yeah. Uh, and this is we we started doing some of that tax loss selling, in conjunction with uh, 
increasing our asset allocation to stocks just slightly. Um, at this point, you know, and I'm going to speak for myself here, uh, I'm, I'm as comfortable as I can get at this level of uh, invest, you know, being this uh, invested in stocks. We're, we're nearing our maximum asset allocation to stocks at this point. There's still in a moderate allocation in yeah. a moderate asset allocation portfolio, but really across all of our uh, our investment models, uh, we are close to being fully invested. I think we're all in agreement that we are in the topping phase of yields when it you know, in terms of the level of interest rates. I'm not ready to declare that the Five percent we saw intraday uh, earlier. I think it was previous week <clears throat> on the ten-year Treasury was the high yield for the for the cycle. Uh, I think we we could, in terms of the low for the stock market, it's certainly looking like last September was the low for this October twenty-seven. October twenty-seventh. Yeah. So it's been a year uh, since we had that low, and we haven't gone back to it. So it appears that that's going to be a a durable low. Um, we're still, uh, ex- I don't know precisely how many percent we are below the all time high on the S and P. I think it's uh, in the low low double digits, high single digits, <clears throat> which is to me still remarkable considering how much interest rates have come up uh, in the last you know almost we're almost uh, you know more than a year and a half. Into the interest rate, in, into the rate rising, raising cycle, and I'm not convinced that there's not another interest rate increase out there. Uh, I'm not, you know, if we get a hot number on CPI next week, it's prob- we're probably going to get one in December, unless there's a really, unless there's another below expectations unemployment number in, in the first of December, maybe we won't. Uh, but the Fed funds rate, ladies and gentlemen, you know, whether it's another quarter percent, another whether it's another half percent, it's really more about the really long, the long end of the yield curve is what's be, what really driving stock prices right now. Yep. It's not, it's not the short, it's not the, you know, what the, the, what the daily, the yeah, the daily stuff that's happening, all the trading. And that's what we've got. We've got this market that's just so heavily just trade it on an intraday basis. I didn't even ask you about volume, Kyle, <clears throat> if the volume is anything to write home about. The previous week, yes. The previous week, volume uh, across the board was well above the daily moving average, and I have not seen that in quite a period of time, that many back-to-back-to-back-to-back days of above-average buying. So to me, that that's a little bit more of conviction buying for possibly longer-term money. But this past week, below average below average so i think i think there was a cooling off period i think some people got winded some buyers got winded uh the previous week as we were making that run up yeah and so this week like you said this week from a buying standpoint was below average and i think it was kind of circling the field until we get the cpi ppi number that's coming next week well, let's pause right there, take another commercial break. You're listening to Money Wise with Davidson Capital Management. You Money Wise guys will be back after this. Welcome back. You're listening to Money Wise with Davidson Capital Management. If you'd like to learn more about the Money Wise guys, you can go to our website at davidsoncap.com 
Would you like to give us a call in our office on Monday to discuss your personal financial situation or take advantage of a portfolio review and analysis from the Money Wise guys? You can reach us in our San Antonio or Corpus Christi office toll free at 1-800-275-2162. If you'd like to send us an email, you can send all emails to moneywise at davidsoncap.com. Don't forget, you can subscribe to the Money Wise podcast through Apple Podcasts or any of your favorite streaming podcast apps where you can leave your comments, and don't forget to like the show. Well, we're in our last segment of the first hour of this weekend's Money Wise program. Joe, I know you wanted to throw something on at the tail end of what we were talking about in the last segment, so the floor is yours, sir. Well, we, we, were, we were doing a lot of Fed speak, but one of the things that I digested in the last week or two when we had this rally is what's the, fl- the Fed's inflation target? 2%, right? 2%. Mm-hmm. And so what 2%. has he been saying lately, and what is the impression the market's getting in general, that he's going to be patient getting to this 2%, meaning he understands it's going to take longer than maybe he anticipated. And I think maybe that's giving investors a breather where they're feeling those, convi- those conviction numbers Kyle was talking about with the volume, not this last week, but the week before that. I think everybody started to digest that a little bit and said, you know what, maybe it's time. And a lot of people, obviously, like you talked about money managers, that might be 25% stocks or 30% stocks. They've got to make a move. But I think part of in my mind, that 2% target in inflation is the reason why people are feeling more comfortable putting putting money to work. Because we're, I'm not saying the Fed is completely done, but what did we say two years ago? In January of last year, no no fun to the no Fed. No fun until the Fed's done. Well, That's we're right. getting to where maybe where people can have a little bit of fun, just a little bit, maybe a little Well, bit. because like Jeff said, if we maybe have one, maybe two more interest rate increases, for all intents and purposes, the Fed is done. And we've got some other Fed governors coming out and saying just on, you know, just on Friday that they feel that it's we're sufficiently tight enough. And that's, again, why we saw this rip your face off rally. But you're right, Joe, because I know that during the press conference two weeks ago, which, of course, we didn't have a show, Jerome Powell came out and they stated that we're comfortable if it takes till 2026 to get the inflation number back down to 2%. And so you're right. They're looking at it from a long game. But I'm here to tell all of our listeners, the Fed is not going to come out and say, we're done hiking rates. They're not going to do it. So don't anticipate that you're going to be hearing that, and that's your bell ringing to say, hey, it's all clear. It's time to get back into the stock market. No. If you have a lot of cash sitting on the sidelines – Use this opportunity to slowly, methodically dollar cost average in, which we have been doing all year. And sometimes our methodology has been slowed down this year. It was slowed down back in March with the banking issues as far as our methodology of stepping in. It's also from the banking crisis, also from some earnings, also from some CPI reports. So we've taken some pauses. You know, I know that at the beginning of the year, we had our stair-step approach in place and that we were going to be close to our maximum allocation to stocks well before where we are right now. And that just hasn't played out because the market, as you know, is a moving organism and it's constantly changing with different inputs and outputs. And so this is why active asset management is so incredibly key. And well, once again, I'm sorry, go ahead, Jeff. I didn't want to get us off track because we wanted to talk. Jeff really, really wanted to talk no, about something. No, that's fine. I, I want to management. So. Yeah, we'll, maybe, we'll, we'll only maybe have time to do one of those this week. Yes. The only thing that I would say is this, this notion about the Fed being patient to get to 2%, could also be interpreted as this higher for longer. 
which the market is, you know, they're still, the market today is still assuming interest rate cuts sometime in 2024. And I'm just not so sure that that's the case. Especially if, especially if they're going to be, if, they're, if, the, if the Fed knows that they're going to have to be patient to get to this 2% target, and we assume that they're not going to raise interest rates anymore, that doesn't mean that they're actually going to cut them. And, and, that, and that may be a concern going down the road that may not necessarily be reflected in stock prices today, that we have to be mindful in 2024 and beyond. But we'll see. And we'll make adjustments as we as we need as we need to in the portfolios as we always have for the 34 years we've been managing money. I know we don't have a lot of time left, but I, I'll let me introduce this new segment. We're going to be doing this, ladies and gentlemen, for many shows to come because we've we've spent the last. And I want to thank everybody. We just had our 18th anniversary on November the 5th. We didn't have a show that weekend. We want to thank everyone for listening to our show over the last 18 years here on KKTX. <clears throat> and during those 18 years, we've talked a lot about the legacy distribution system. And we haven't always necessarily named names. We're going to stop that here today. And we're going to name names because we're going to be reading to you disclosures that are publicly available from these legacy distribution organizations that some of you that are listening to us may have your investments with. And you may not know some of these conflicts of interest or many of these conflicts of interest that exist at these organizations and how these conflicts affect your portfolio's performance because it adds up to dollars and cents. And it's not dollars and cents for you, it's dollars and cents for the legacy distribution system. So Kyle has got an example from Edward Jones, right yes. out of their ADV. Right out of their ADV, which is available by going to brokercheck.com, typing right. in the firm, then it'll send you over to the SEC website where you can pull up their ADV part twos. Right. And today he's not necessarily – we're not going to be talking about the revenue-sharing agreements that Edward Jones has with dozens of different organizations. We're going to be talking about them actually disclosing how active they are in managing client assets. And I know we don't have a lot – yeah, I know we don't have a lot of time, so we'll probably have to hit this up again on next weekend's show. But Edward Jones provides a bunch of different types of management solutions for their clients. And this one in particular is called their Advisor Solutions Fund Models. Now, as you read into their ADV, there was one section I highlighted specifically where it's talking about how they quote-unquote manage money. And I'm going to read right from the ADV Part 2. Edward Jones is solely responsible for determining and periodically reviewing the asset allocation categories and asset allocations appropriate for each account portfolio objective. Well, right there, folks, in black and white, they clearly state that we periodically manage the assets. And what does periodically mean? Once a year we review it? twice a year, once every other year, their management fee starts 
at 1.35%. So if you want to pay 1.35% to be in a quote-unquote periodically reviewed portfolio where potentially some management could be taking place and you don't know when, then that's where you go. And I know we're running out of time, so we're going to probably have to recap and talk more about this on next weekend's show. But where I'm reading this from comes right out of ADV Part 2. I've always said dig deeper from day one on this program now, and it's 19th year. We're going to talk more about this on next weekend's show and provide more education. So don't forget to tune in next week. And with that, we're coming to the top of our break. We'll take the break, go into the news. When we come back, we'll be diving back into investor education. Stay tuned. We'll do that after this. Listen to Money Wise with Davidson Capital Management. Money Wise guys will be back after the news. All opinions expressed by Davidson Capital Management on Money Wise are solely theirs and are based upon information they consider reliable and is subject to change without notice. You should be aware of the risk in investing in any security or investment strategy discussed on the show. Before acting, you should consider whether it is suitable for your particular circumstances and should seek advice from your own financial or investment advisor. Past performance is not indicative of future results. Welcome back. You're listening to Money Wise with Davidson Capital Management. We've got my father, John, my brother, Jeff. I'm your host, Kyle Davidson, and we are heading into the second hour of this weekend's Money Wise program. Now, if you'd like to learn more about the Money Wise guys, you can go to our website at davidsoncap.com. Or if you'd like to give us a call in our office on Monday to discuss your personal financial situation, you can reach us in our Corpus Christi office at 906-0070 or toll-free at 1-800-275-2162. And if you'd like to send us an email, you can send all emails to moneywise at davidsoncap.com. If you missed the first hour of MoneyWise, you can go to our website at davidsoncap.com. Click on the radio show link where you can listen to today's show as well as past MoneyWise programs. You can also subscribe to our iTunes feed by clicking on the blue note in the upper right-hand corner of our homepage at davidsoncap.com. Thank you, Jeff. You're welcome. Well, now, as we utilize every second hour of the MoneyWise program going into investor education and wanted to go into a topic that we haven't talked about in quite some time, um, it seems that a lot of our educational segments we talk to we talk to our listeners about the accumulation and the saving side of retirement and, and getting to that uh, retirement red zone but we we seldom discuss what happens once you're in retirement and and really more importantly and f- more focused on how do you spend in retirement and the appropriate level of spending in retirement to make sure that your retirement nest egg lasts a lifetime. And there was an article, Dad, that you found from MarketWatch in the Wall Street Journal, and it really spurred us into saying to ourselves, you know what, we need to talk about this because I don't think we've covered it enough on this program. I I think some of our listeners are currently in retirement or right on the verge of going into retirement, and there would be a very solid topic to go into so our listeners can start doing their own planning and what i what i call it when i work with our clients or prospective clients i call it financial road mapping that's just the the name i've given it uh, myself 
as far as what we do for our current clients, for prospective clients as they're transitioning into retirement, just to give them an idea of this is your nest egg, this is what you're projected to need to take out on a monthly basis and on an annual basis, and this is what can happen to your assets as you go through retirement. But there was a survey that was done in this article, and the title of the article is The Surprising Amount Retirees Spend. And this article really kind of goes in two different directions. It, it kind of it, it goes into the direction of retirees not really spending hardly anything of their retirement nest egg because they're terrified to spend well, a single dollar. They're concerned about outliving their money. They're concerned about that. But then there's the other side of the coin of retirees going, I don't want to use the word nuts, but spending a little bit more than they should and actually upsizing and because – Again, looking at a sizable amount of assets, let's say you retire, you've accumulated a million, $1.5 million, $2 million, that it gives them a sense of security that, hey, I can go from a 1,000-square-foot house, I want to build me a new 3,500-square-foot house in retirement because I have all of these assets, and not realizing what kind of significant impact that can make on their nest egg. And so there was a survey done uh, back in February, and they found that not only are some retirees not downsizing, but 30% of these retirees that they surveyed have actually upsized their lifestyle. And have upsized I mean, that's a surprising their, their, number. Their, their, and have it? upsized their homes and their lifestyle. I was quite surprised seeing a 30% increase. Now, granted, this is their sample size. It's not a huge sample size. But, again, it's an interesting statistic that 30% of these retirees were upsizing um, as they go, as they moved into retirement. And I know that if any of our listeners went to a financial planner, went to a financial salesman and said, okay, here's here's my nest egg. I want to start drawing assets off of it to live in retirement. How much should I be pulling out? And it seems that the rule of thumb in the brokerage community and the financial planning community has always been a 4% rule. To be not taking out more than 4% of the total value of your portfolio on an annual basis. Now, at Davidson Capital Management, being that we're in our 26th year of business, we have a little bit different experience because we have proof of our management philosophy and how it is performed in good markets, bad markets, higher interest rate environments, and, and of course, the horribly low interest rate environment we're currently in. And we have found that you know, our clients have been able to average between a 6 and 7% withdrawal rate on an annual basis and not encroach on their principal assets they invested with us over the lifetime of the account. And we utilize client number one that's been with us 26-plus years and what they've been able to withdraw from their account and have not only taken out more than they originally invested with us, but actually have more in their account than what they originally invested with us. So we know that our philosophy works because we have proof. We have the numbers to prove it. Um, but that 4% rule has been used by the financial service industry for many, many years. But now, because of the extremely low interest rate environment, some of some folks in the financial service industry are now changing that withdrawal rate to between 2 and 3%. I mean, that's just that's insane, really. That is low. Well, in our opinion, 
the way we view this, this the four percent rule, as as you talked about, Kyle being used by our competitors and on Wall Street, we've kind of looked at as they're trying to keep the bar as low for themselves as possible. Uh, that way, they can charge higher fees, sell their products that have loads, uh, you know, sales charges attached to them, and and still meet their four percent maximum rate of withdrawal. Uh, target that they tell their clients that they want what they want their clients to stick to. So we the, by taking it down to two or three percent maximum withdrawal rate per year, that's lowering the bar even more than what was what we what we thought was a pre was a low bar to begin with with a four percent rule. Right. So if you're if you if you got a client that's got a million dollars. And you're telling well, you can only withdraw two percent a year. That's twenty thousand dollars. Well, think about this. I mean, if you put it in the government bonds, ten-year bonds, right now, exactly, you, you don't need any of this. You can get right at two percent. Exactly. So you don't. You don't need to go to Wall Street to get a two percent withdrawal rate. I mean, you can do that on your own, dealing direct with the Federal Reserve. So that that's absurd. That's why I said that's insane. That's insane. Well, they're they're tr- I guess they're trying to cost themselves all the trailing commissions that Dad, you and I talked about on last weekend's show. They're they're trying to cost themselves a lot of commissions because, like you said, you can go directly to the Treasury and buy government bonds, which is a guaranteed rate of return, the only guaranteed rate of return on Wall Street to generate that withdrawal yeah, to, rate of two to one percent. Whether it's two, three, or four percent, in my opinion, this looks like a revenue enhancement to. Uh, Policy by Wall Street. Okay, well, let's take another commercial break. You're listening to Money Wise with Davidson Capital Management. Your Money Wise guys will be back after this. Welcome back. You're listening to Money Wise with Davidson Capital Management. If you'd like to learn more about the Money Wise guys, you can go to our website at davidsoncap.com. Or if you'd like to give us a call in our office on Monday to discuss your personal financial situation, you can reach us in our Corpus Christi office at 906 906- zero zero seven zero or toll free at one eight hundred two seven five two one six two and if you have an investment related question or topic you'd like for us to discuss here on the money wise program you can send all your emails to moneywise at davidsoncap.com so continuing our investor education and it's an uh, and it comes from an article the surprising amount retirees spend and we're talking about spending in retirement and some of the rules of thumb that we utilize with our clients at Davidson Capital Management, uh, but also just some tips for pre-retirees so they can do a quick determination with very simple calculations of whether or not they're potentially ready for retirement and kind of hop on that proverbial horse and riding off into the sunset and some things that they can do and utilize some free calculators uh, that are online for them to do some of their at-home at calculations. Now, getting back to this article, there's a financial research firm. Uh, I, I love the name of it. It's called Hearts and Wallets. <laughs> <laughs> this this research firm, they surveyed uh, a little bit over 1,200 households age 65 and older that had assets of more than $100,000. And the research researchers found that only 12% uh, or I shouldn't say only, they found out that 12% took out over twice the 4% rule, closer to a 9% withdrawal rate per year, but they also found that 28% withdrew less than 1%. And some of these 
folks surveyed didn't remove any assets at all from their retirement assets. Now, I would be assuming that these folks either have, A, taxable assets and outside accounts, because most likely they would be asking if it's IRAs or pensions or what have you, or they have traditional defined benefit plans and getting their pension payment. They decided not to take the cash lump sum option, which is what we recommend to any retiree at Davidson Capital Management to take that lump sum distribution from your pension so you gain control of those assets, or their lifestyle is so modest that their Social Security payments are more than covering their daily living expenses. I mean, that's that's the only thing I was able to take away from this survey of over 1,200 households that were surveyed. but, you know, one thing that, that was interesting that came out of this article that really spurred us to want to talk about this is this mentality of chunks or nothing. And that means retirees going into their IRA accounts, going into their retirement accounts, and taking a chunk of money out at a particular period of time as opposed to spreading those payments out over a monthly basis. And I wanted to talk about this because... Being in business 26 years, we deal with this on a weekly basis at Davidson Capital Management where you know, we recommend that if you're going to be living off of your assets in retirement to set up really kind of your own annuity. And I hate to even use the word annuity, <laughs> but I have to let all of our listeners know the definition of the word annuity means a periodic stream of payments. That's what annuity means. Well, you can create your own annuity through an IRA without actually having to go and buy an annuity, and you do that by setting up a particular dollar amount that you're going to be withdrawing on a monthly basis from your retirement nest egg to live off of in retirement. And this is what we would recommend to Davidson Capital Management as opposed to taking chunks out. And the reason why we recommend not taking chunks of assets out are for a couple of reasons. First off, when you say, okay, I need $15,000 out of my account, and then four or five months later, I need $20,000 out of my account, and then a couple months later, you take another 10000 out, you get to the end of the year, you kind of forget the chunks of assets you took out earlier in the year. And so when you add up the total amount of withdrawals that you took, a lot of times you'll find out that you were violating, again, a at our at our firm, the six to seven percent withdrawal rate rule, where you're part of this group that's taking out nine, ten, eleven percent of your investable net worth well, by well, by taking it in chunks. But the other reason why we don't recommend doing this is you save for retirement typically through dollar cost averaging. If you're participating in a four hundred one k, you're dollar cost averaging into the market. It's also wise to dollar cost average out of the market because if you time the withdrawal of a big chunk of assets at the wrong time, it could wind up costing you at the end of the year when it comes down to your total performance return and growth of those assets. And I, An example that I like to use is think of your retirement nest egg like a golden goose. And that golden goose produces golden eggs, and those golden eggs are – capital appreciation, dividend income, interest income. You want to keep that golden goose as large as possible, as long as possible to create the biggest golden eggs it possibly can. But if you're going in and taking large chunks of that golden goose out, then you start 
of course, leaking into the issue of the law of large numbers, meaning you want to keep your number, your retirement nest egg, as big as possible, as long as possible. So instead of taking $10,000 out, let's say you have to take $50,000 out a year. You know, Why don't you take $4,000 out a month as opposed to taking $15,000 out every quarter? You know, doing it that way. Uh, so bottom line is, is our recommendation is to dollar cost average assets out of your retirement nest egg as opposed to taking chunks at one time. The other thing we run into is that we'll see situations where um, clients don't give us the heads up when they're getting ready to need a chunk withdrawal. And it really affects what a manager is doing with the money if he's not told. It's If you know money's coming out every month, you can also plan as a portfolio manager. Mm-hmm. When you do the chunk withdrawals... It can force sales that you don't want to make. And it may not come at the right time. That's I mean, right. I mean, you are, you're affecting the return in your portfolio based on that chunk. Now, if you're fortunate enough to have taken a chunk out in early March of 2000, that would have been a whole lot better than taking a chunk out in October of 2000. But it averages out. That's true, but it averages out over the life of the account. But if it's a large enough chunk, you start, I mean, when we, we know you start taking out more than 7% a year, you run the risk. You're going to be you're going to be running out of money. I mean, depending on how many years this goes on. I mean, we know this. I mean, it's not something we have to study. Twenty five years plus seeing this, and we've had some wild and woolly markets since nineteen eighty nine, and there we're gonna have wild and woolly markets for the next twenty five years. And so you start doing that and you are going to run out of money. And, and I would say, and Jeff and I have been here long enough, we have seen people run through retirement accounts in a very short period of time, run through inheritances. It happens time and time again. And we will counsel these people and explain to them what's going to happen. But it seems like once it starts, they can't seem to stop it. Yeah. It's it's like hitting an artery that you you can't stop the bleeding. And it isn't, I mean, it's their money. We are there to work for them, but we're also there to counsel. And we will tell, you know, you are going to see this money disappear. A lot of the time when we see people taking chunks out of their retirement accounts, uh, they are more times than not uh, purchases that they shouldn't be making. Um, I've had to advise many times for folks they want to pay off their mortgage. The first thing that happens is they retire, and they have a seven-figure retirement, and the very first thing they want to do is they want to get totally debt-free, and they want to pay off their house. They want to pay off their cars. They want to pay off their credit cards. You know, Some of these things we should have been planned ahead of time to have them paid off before you reach retirement, maybe not necessarily the house, but by taking all these chunks now and converting them to assets that are appreciating at a lower rate or appreciating at no rate you know, or depreciating, like you know, paying like off a, a car or like a vehicle, uh, that that that's a real problem. We've also had to counsel folks many times that are, and I'm going to use the term "quote unquote" retiring because they're not actually retiring; they're changing careers. And they go in and raid their retirement nest eggs in order to change careers. And I've had several situations where clients would 
take out 50 or 60% of their money or more to start a new business, change careers, and the, the, the problem that we have as, as long-term planners uh, of, of retirement nest eggs is that is this new endeavor going to replace this money that you're taking out in a short period of time? If you change careers at 50 years old, you know, and you're 10, 12 years away from retirement, and you take a million-dollar portfolio down to $500,000, are you going to be able to replace that $500,000 in 10 years in this new endeavor to restore your retirement back to where it was before? That's a, that's a, that's a question that, I, that, any, that I've had to pose to several people who did end up taking all the money, and in, many, in several cases we've had you know, one that completely went through their entire retirement nest egg uh, in this new business endeavor, and that's not a good thing. We wouldn't recommend funding a new business endeavor with your retirement nest egg. No. You should go out and, and find other forms of financing, and if you can't get it, maybe you shouldn't be going into that business venture. Well, we're coming to the bottom of the hour break. You're listening to Money Wise with Davidson Capital Management. We'll be back after these words. Welcome back. You're listening to Money Wise with Davidson Capital Management. If you'd like to learn more about the Money Wise guys, you can go to our website at davidsoncap.com. Or if you'd like to give us a call in our office on Monday to discuss your personal financial situation, you can reach us in our Corpus Christi office at 906 zero zero seven zero or toll free at one eight hundred two seven five two one six two and if you'd like to send us an email you can send all emails to moneywise at davidsoncap.com so continuing our education of about retirement spending and, and really this whole conversation spurred by an article titled The Surprising Amount Retirees Spend. We've only got into a little bit of the article because we deal with this on a weekly basis at Davidson Capital Management, so we're really discussing our own personal experiences with our client base and just rules of thumb that we use as an investment advisor and also just some tips uh, for our listeners to utilize in getting prepared for retirement and to make sure that you don't outlive your assets. And one thing, Jeff, you were talking about, folks going into retirement, wanting to pay off their cars, wanting to pay off their credit cards, wanting to pay off their house because they don't want to have any bills coming in. Right. And I think the the key there is is that the retirement planning process shouldn't begin the year before you're going to retire. The retirement planning process should be starting many years, you know, 3 years before. So that you if 3 years before you're planning on retiring, you have these credit cards and this car payment and this house payment, then the planning should start three years before. Well, we need to get the credit cards paid off because they're typically they're typically at much higher interest rates. You know, the cars. Well, that's a what are the rates the cars are at? That's you right. Know, if if you bought them here recently, uh, the their interest rates should be pretty low and probably wouldn't be advisable to pay them off uh, with retirement assets. You know, if their interest rates are really low. But because one thing that retirees forget is as you pull assets out of the IRA, they're fully taxable as ordinary income. So now you're paying taxes 
on this withdrawal to pay off this vehicle or to buy whatever. So it's it's yeah, it's nice that you're paying it off, but you're having to pay taxes on that withdrawal. And and the thing that that we discuss here in the office is, well, look at the interest rate, because we we get it, we understand. Folks don't like to pay bills. No one likes to pay bills. They don't want to make that car payment on a monthly basis. They don't want to make that mortgage payment on a monthly basis. We get it. But you have to take a look at what is my interest rate? What am I paying? If I have a car note at, say, 2.5%, you want to continue to finance that. I know Jeff and I get this question all the time. Should I be paying cash for a new vehicle? Well, what's the interest rate? Well, it's 3.5%. No, don't pay cash for it because just utilizing our our asset builder, our moderate allocation, our asset builder, our goal return for that account over the lifetime of that account is 7%. So I use 7% as the rule of thumb. If the interest rate is below 7%, you finance it. If the interest rate is above 7%, okay, we can discuss paying cash for it because, again, you want to keep that golden goose as large as possible, as long as possible, to take advantage of compound interest and the law of large numbers. The other thing about removing money from your retirement nest egg, especially if it's an IRA, to pay off bills is that the income taxes you have to pay. That's right. And, and, and if you don't have cash available to pay those income taxes, where do you have to rate again? To pay for those income taxes, so, your IRA again, so it's an ongoing cycle. So if you take, say, a $20,000 car loan at 3%, and you take that $20,000 out of your retirement nest egg, you're giving up $20,000 that, under our philosophy over the long term, might earn an estimated 7% to pay off a 3% loan. So that's 4% on $20,000. You know, 4% on $20,000, I believe, is $800, if my mem- if my math is correct. Uh, per year. Per year, exactly. And then on top of that, let's say you're in a 15% tax bracket, and you take that $20,000 out. Well, now you're looking at, uh, what was that, $3,000 $3, in, in, in income taxes that you're going to have to pay pulling that money out. So you're giving up. $800 a year in additional income compounded and a $3,000 tax bill in a 15% tax bracket just to pay off a $20,000 car loan at 3%. Well, imagine how that works out if you want to expand it out to paying off a house. It can, you know, it can cost let's say you a lot. A couple of hundred thousand dollar house and at a 4% interest rate. You know, that those are those run into some really big numbers. I mean the taxes alone. You know, if it was two hundred thousand dollars, you might you get hit with a twenty plus percent tax bill, that's forty thousand dollars in taxes. Now now talking about vehicle purchases or talking about homes, like you were talking about earlier, Jeff, if if you have several credit cards all carrying balances at a high interest rate you really need to get those paid off before you even contemplate going into retirement. I mean, you really need to have consumer debt from the credit card standpoint, that financial house in order before you go into retirement. As I say to prospective clients or current clients, if you have a car note at a low interest rate, that's fine going into retirement. You have a mortgage payment at a low interest rate going into retirement, that's fine. But any consumer debt, you really want to have that paid off. 
before you go into retirement because of all the reasons we were just explaining. You don't want to retire and have to pull out $75,000 to pay off credit card debt because now, here you go again, you're having to pay tax on that distribution to pay these credit cards off. So if you find yourself thinking about retirement and you're sitting on twenty, twenty-five thousand dollars in credit card debt, you need to focus on paying off that debt first so you don't find yourself in a situation where you go and you retire and now you're having to pull out eight, nine, ten percent a year out of your retirement nest egg to keep up with all of these bills. But how do you figure out how much do I need in retirement? Now, I will tell you this. If we all knew when the last day on earth was going to be for each and every one of us, boy, retirement planning would be so simple. It would be so easy. But unfortunately, no one knows when their last day on earth is going to be. So you always have to prepare, the oldest saying in the book, prepare for a rainy day. So what you need to do and what we recommend is if you want to maintain your lifestyle, as, as I say to prospective clients, if you're used to eating steak three times a week, don't think that once you go into retirement you're going to be eating PB&J and rice and beans three times a week instead of steak. So we recommend to take 12 months of your spending and average them out. Add up 12 months. And if you haven't if you don't keep good records and you're thinking about retirement, you need to start keeping a record every month of what you're spending for your cell phone, your electricity, your water, your entertainment, food, all of your expenses. You add up 12 months, divided by 12, you get your average. And once you have that average, you multiply by 12 again. That is your withdrawal rate per year that you need to take out in order to maintain that lifestyle. Now, if that dollar amount divided by how much you've saved is greater, that withdrawal rate is greater than, say, 7%, then you need to either, A, lower your living expenses somehow, or, B, you need to work longer and you need to save more. And, again, there's financial calculators. There's a website called financialcalculators.com. I absolutely love this website. You can utilize it for free. It has so many calculators and so many different consumer finance and retirement planning arenas, it will blow your mind. And it's a, and it's a website that I use very, very often. In fact, I used it today. So utilize financialcalculators.com, but you need to sit down and do this work. Don't just go into retirement blindly and figure out what you're going to need to be spending on a monthly basis, and that's what we would recommend is taking monthly withdrawals, not chunks. You have to get out of the chunk mentality. And we understand emergencies arise where you do have to tap in more than than what you are taking out on a monthly basis. We get that, but don't make it a habit. I was going to say the, the key to managing retirement assets, to me, comes down to one word, flexibility. Absolutely. And flexibility means that your retirement assets are not invested in instruments that... Take that away. Yeah, that that reduce your ability to withdraw if an unforeseen event comes comes you know happens, and I'm kind of laying this at the feet of non-publicly traded 
REITs or private placements or annuities of all different kinds. Or even taking a defined benefit payment from a traditional pension. That would be something else, right. taking a traditional roll, pension. Yeah, roll, instead of taking the lump sum, you roll. You just go on and say, I'm going to take the pension, and that's it. Because once you lock yourself in to taking that pension payment, you're done. You, you, that's, the, that's it. You're only getting that amount of money for the rest of your life, for the rest of your life and your spouse's life. And then once those two exp- typically... Once, once, if you choose the right, the, the particular option where you get you get a pension payment for your lifetime, and your wife gets a pension payment for her lifetime, there's no other assets going to the uh, estate, and it's not those payments are not adjusted for inflation. So every month that goes by, that pension payment is buying less, and they're also not guaranteed. That's right. No matter how strong the corporation is. And I know the the refinery businesses here in the Corpus Christi area are very good at taking care of their employees. I mean, we've seen it firsthand. But there are no guarantees in life. And when you have your pension and you're taking those pension payments, and if that pension goes insolvent, very bad things can happen. And we'll talk about that when we come back from our last commercial break. You're listening to Money Wise with Davidson Capital Management. We'll be back after this. Welcome back. You're listening to Money Wise with Davidson Capital Management. If you'd like to learn more about the Money Wise guys, you can go to our website at davidsoncap.com. Or if you'd like to give us a call in our office on Monday to discuss your personal financial situation, you can reach us in our Corpus Christi office at 906-0070 or toll free at 1-800-275-275. Two one six two, and if you'd like to send us an email, you can send all emails to moneywise at davidsoncap.com. So, in our last segment of this weekend's MoneyWise program, uh, before we went to break, Jeff was talking about maintaining flexibility in retirement, and I was talking about taking pension payments, and we were talking about solvency of pensions. The one thing that each and every one of our listeners needs to understand is that there is no such thing as a guaranteed pension from any corporation. I mean, corporations have gone out of business all the time. I mean, I think of WorldCom. I think of Enron. There's other corporations that have gone out of business. The airline, a lot of airline industry or a lot of companies in the airline industry have gone out of business. The reason why we recommend taking a lump sum distribution, if it's available, in your pension or if you have, if you're lucky enough to still have a defined benefit or pension plan from your employer, the reason why we recommend to take that cash lump sum payout is to be able to maintain that flexibility in retirement and not rely on your former employer to be making those monthly payments to you because you have to understand those monthly pension payments are not hedged are not adjusted for monetary inflation. So what buys you uh, in 2015 is going to buy you a heck of a lot less the payment, the same payment you're getting in 2020 or in 2030. So that's the reason why you want to take that lump sum to have that flexibility and also to have access to those assets in case you do run into an emergency or want to be spending a little bit more that you can afford to spend a little bit more than what your pension payment uh, you're receiving is going to amount to. But the other reason is that if a pension goes insolvent, it gets turned over to the PBGC, the Pension Benefit Guarantee Corporation, 
And the thing you have to understand is the PBGC has multi-billion dollars of unfunded pension liabilities, and they have a cap set on the maximum amount a pension recipient can receive on a monthly basis. And so if you were lucky enough to be receiving a very sizable, say, a four or $5,000 a month pension payment, well, last I checked, which is it's been a it's been a while since I've checked, but if memory serves me correct, the PBGC's maximum monthly payout is less than three thousand dollars a month. So, if you are receiving a four or five thousand dollar monthly pension payment, and the pension gets turned over to the PBGC, yeah, you just sliced you just sliced your regardless pension payment. of how much you're receiving a month, you're going to get less. Yeah, you're going to get less. That's right. And something else that we've talked about on past shows, some horror stories concerning these pension payouts, and I've read this right out of the Wall Street Journal, is the actuarial firms crunching the numbers have run into situations where they find out that a pension has been overpaying pension recipients for years and years and years, and one day a pension recipient goes to the mailbox, receives a letter stating, oh, we've overpaid you over the last 10 years, $150,000. You need to pay that back to us immediately, or we're going to cut your pension benefit in half until we recoup that that overpayment. It's rare. It's rare. It's very rare. But it happens. One thing that struck me was was this, um, that was on page two of the... And come, going back to the article, uh, and the article titled, let me get back to the title, The Surprising Amount Retirees Spend, um, the roadmap for policymakers and Americans' view of the retirement crisis from the National Institute of Retirement Security found that in a survey of 801 Americans, 67% said that they'd be willing to take less in salary increases today today in exchange for guaranteed income in retirement. And again, this goes right this is laid right to the feet of this pension benefit, this the secure the secure feeling you get from receiving that monthly check from a pension or from an annuity, and unfortunately, these payments are not adjusted for monetary inflation. And we t- constantly talk about monetary inflation on the Money Wise program because not enough folks in the financial service industry are talking about it. Monetary inflation is the silent killer to the value of your retirement nest egg. Well, what, what I see here, when I see people wanting to take less salary today for this Guaranteed amount quote, of money, quote unquote, guaranteed in the future. And the one thing you don't want to do is whatever that payment you're getting at age sixty-five or sixty-six, you're not going to like it at age seventy-eight, seventy-nine. I, I, I will guarantee you that. Oh, you're using the G. Yeah, yeah, that's the guarantee. The guarantee is you're, <laughs> you're not, not going to like it. You're not going to like that amount of money ten years down the road. The one thing I'm, you know, I'm only seventy. I'm not. I'm not. You know, I, I'm not. Retired, retired. But the one thing that Jeff said that is is the most important word is that flexibility. You cannot give up flexibility. And here's people saying, oh, if you just pay me less money today. I'm, I'm willing to get, take less know, money try, and give up flexibility. And give up flexibility. No. No. I mean, this, this but is. But that's fear talking, Dad. See, right. that's the thing. This is fear. These 67% of these 801 people surveyed. This is fear. This is the 67% that the annuity community focuses on. That's right. These are the fearful people that we've talked about 
last year on a show, the Dalbar study of overly emotional investors constantly remembering their losses and their failures and not remembering their victories. And because of the 24-hour news cycle, because of the volatility that's here to stay on Wall Street, it's never going away. And I don't think it's ever going to get any better. You know what I would like to do if I was retiring, if I thought in terms of guaranteed, create a laddered government bond portfolio knowing that interest rates are going up in the future and that guaranteed amount is going to be going up in the future. And guaranteed by the federal government. Instead of taking salary increases in exchange for a guaranteed income in retirement, how about they keep the same salary but contribute more to their 401Ks and build up their 401K nest eggs and stop being so fearful about day-to-day movements in the stock markets or what this pundit is saying and that pundit is saying and just pay yourself more in in, in accumulating retirement assets now because – Taking a, accepting a lower salary for in exchange for a guaranteed income in retirement, that's baloney. You, the, the, what it's, it's just never – this guaranteed income in retirement is not going to be enough to fund a, comfort, a, a comfortable retirement, retirement for, for most people. It's just not. So, so – Pay yourself first now with your increased salary by contributing more to your 401ks and have some money in stocks and have some money in bonds and have some money in cash, but don't have it all in bonds and cash because you're never going to beat monetary inflation over the long term if you're not willing to take a little bit of risk now. And if any of our listeners would like to have a deeper powwow concerning their particular financial situation, you can reach us in our office on Monday at 906 906- Zero zero seven zero or toll free at one eight hundred two seven five two one six two. And with that, from my father John and my brother Jeff, this is Kyle Davidson saying, "Have a fantastic weekend into your financial health." We will talk to you next week. <laughs>